Hey guys, good to see you. Um, my name is Alex Sheets. I'm one of the college ministers here. There is a lot of new faces, and so please, please take us up on that connection thing. We would love to get to know you. Um, we would love that. Um, tonight we're going to be in Exodus 19, um, and I have to say at the beginning that uh, I've been to uh, I've been to countless weddings. I've even married several people as the pastor. I have married some people, whatever the, the right grammar of that is. Um, and I know many people like weddings. Uh, they like the, uh, the romance, the dancing, the nice clothes. Everyone's in their best dress. But uh, I have to say, I don't really like weddings anymore. I don't know if you just hit a certain age and it just, it just changes, but uh, the dancing... My knees don't work like they used to, you know? Uh, the small talk, it's kind of awkward, and always having to suffer, suffer through the best man's speech. <laughs> Guys, it is like every single I remember one time I went to a, uh, a wedding, and it genuinely felt like the guy just heard, like, hey, I have to speak right now. And so they give him a mic, and he just starts talking, you know? That's just... Typically, the best man's speeches, you got to suffer through them. I don't know. Not really a big, a big wedding guy anymore. But there's two things that I still love about the wedding. Two moments. The first one is when the bride comes in and, and the song is playing, Here Comes the Bride, or whatever song they want. Everyone rises and turns and looks at her. Except what I like so much about that moment, I'm kind of a little bit weird in weddings. Um, I, I turn back, I look at the bride, make sure she's there. <laughs> and then I turn and I look at the groom. Because I just want to see that moment. I want to see how he's processing it. It's a huge moment for both of them. And I don't know, is he going to be emotional? Is he, is he going to break? Is he going to tear? I, I love the tears. Um, I love that moment. The second moment that I love in weddings is the exchanging of the vows. Um, now it's not so much about the emotions, it's, it's more about what's happening. And everyone's looking up there and they're saying, do you take this person to be da-da-da-da, and do you, you know how weddings go? Um, except in this moment, I told you I'm a little bit weird in weddings, I'm not looking at them, I'm looking up. I'm looking at the sky because the Bible says something is happening in that moment. It's called a covenant that this man and this woman, the two are becoming one flesh. It is mysterious, it is beautiful, and it is called a covenant. It's a big biblical language. It's part of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Tonight, we are reading a marriage ceremony. There's the groom, regal as always. The bride is there. Vows are also being made to one another. A covenant is happening between two parties, a marriage ceremony. Only this time, it is between God and his people, Yahweh the Lord and Israel. They're entering into their marriage ceremony. Uh, turn to Exodus 19 if you're not already there. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about the chapter as we begin to enter in. The significance of this moment, 
The significance of Exodus 19 cannot be understated. Now, most people know Exodus 20. It's the giving of the law. Moses coming down with two tablets on their hands. Thou shalt not do X, Y, Z. Most people know Exodus 20, and they think that's very significant. It is a very significant moment. But it is actually Exodus 19 that is so important. Some scholars say that this chapter is the most important chapter in Exodus. Some go so far as to say that this is the most important chapter in the entire Old Testament. God entering into covenant with the nation. It is this chapter that helps us make sense of the rest of the Old Testament. Why is God so wrathful at times? Why does God go to war and destroy other nations that are threatening his people? It is because he says, Isaiah 53, that he is the husband of Israel. He is married to these people. Why is God so angry when his people commit idolatry? They start to follow other gods. They start to break the law. It is because he says that idolatry is actually adultery. As if the nation was being unfaithful to their husband. I want you to see the covenantal love that God has and is entering into his people. If you remember back earlier this semester, way back into August, um, we began, not in Exodus, but we began in Genesis 12 and 15, when God speaks to Abraham and he says, I will be yours. I will be yours. It's kind of like he became betrothed to the people at that time. He says, I'm going away for a while, but there will come a time when we will be united. His people go into slavery, and he sees his beloved, and he comes to the rescue. Remember the scene with Moses in Exodus 3. He says, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought Egypt out, you will come to me, and you will worship on this mountain. And then he brings his bride to himself. You remember the stories. You remember the plagues. You remember the frogs. There were frogs there. You remember the sea and the song that happened afterwards. He saves them, brings them to himself, and then he gives them the chance to say, I do. God is a gentleman. See, if it was me that was saving Israel, if it was me that was rescuing the damsel in distress, I would probably be like, yeah, I'll do this, but... uh." I'm going to need a little bit more than a, a maybe, you know? Like, I'm gonna, if I'm going to go through all of this, I'm going to need something more than a promise. And if they said no, I'd be like, enjoy Egypt. <laughs> That's me. That's not God. God is a gentleman. He brings them to himself. He saves them. And then he gives them the chance to say, I will be yours. And finally, we're at Sinai. Exodus 19, the moment has finally arrived. He says, will you be mine? And they say, I do. It is a marriage ceremony. Enough talking about Exodus 19. You get the idea. Um, Let's turn there if you're not there already. We're going to focus on the first eight verses. And then we're going to point out three important aspects from Exodus 19. And then we're going to finish by landing on the idea of the priesthood. That is where we are going 
Exodus 19, 1 through 8, says this. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, there's that word, then out of all the nations, out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession, my own. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all answered together, we will do everything the Lord has said. They say to God, I do. Three important things that you see happening in this section of scripture. The first is verse 4. You, have, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He said, I carried you, I saved you, as if it was done by eagles' wings, as if they were snatched up and taken away on the wings of an eagle. All you Lord of the Rings fans, all you nerds, my homies in the room, you know where this is. You know where we're going with this. The eagle's wings. They're saved as if they were snatched up. You remember Gandalf? He's on the top of the mountain or the tower, and then he jumps off and whew, saved by eagle's wings. You remember Frodo and Sam? It's despairing. It's sad. The music's rising. You think they're done. Then eagle's wings, boom, they come and take them away. You remember Dumbledore fighting Darth? Nah, I'm just kidding. Some of you guys thought. Some of you guys thought it was real. No, it's not real. Read Lord of the Rings if you haven't. God saves his people so easily, so mightily, it is as if they were snatched up by the wings of eagles. Eagles' wings, when you hear this, when they would have heard this, they would have thought two things. They would have thought power and protection. The first, eagles are powerful. They are fierce predators. America chose the bald eagle for a reason. Ben Franklin said, we want to do the turkey because turkeys are wise birds. No, you don't want the turkey. You shoot turkeys. You put them on the Thanksgiving dinner table. You say, thank God, thank you, Mom, let's, let's eat. You don't want turkeys. Bald eagles, they're powerful. There are genuinely videos, go look this up later, of a bald eagle swooping and catching goats off of mountains. These guys kill goats. Goats are big, okay? <laughs> this isn't robins. Robins don't do that. This isn't swallows or whatever. This is an eagle. God has been dangerous to the enemies of his people. He has fought and destroyed those who threatened his beloved. Let me read Psalm 91 to you. 
It says this, taking up the same idea, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty, of the all-powerful one. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, he, my God, in whom I trust. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, pestilence, plague. You will not fear anything. A thousand enemies may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You're underneath the wings of the powerful eagle. Salvation. The second reason why God chose eagles as his metaphor is that eagles fiercely protect their young. They care for the weak. God pictures his salvation over the people of Israel as if an eagle hovering over its chicks. Deuteronomy 32, 9 through 11 says this, The Lord is his portion, Jacob is allotted inheritance. In the desert land he found him, in a bearing and howling waste. He shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, his treasured possession. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them, he carries them aloft. God has snatched his people to safety, hovering over them in protection church. Remember this from Exodus 19, that salvation is so easy to the Lord. So easy. I don't know what you're going through now. I don't know what fears and anxieties rise up in us, but God is a God who saves. It is easy for him. It is not hard. He will save you, and he will continue to save you and hover over you in protection. Remember that today. The second thing we see in Exodus 19 is verse 5, a very dense chapter. Verse 5 says this, Now if you obey me fully and you keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. The literal phrase of that is um, my special treasure. And the idea, both ideas, is a, a, royal, a royal gem, royal property, like the crown of a king. He says in the next verse, he says that I own everything. God created everything. He's the maker. That he owns it. You make it, you can, it's yours. I think we, we have that same idea. I think it's called patent in America. God created and owns everything. He owns the rocks. He owns the flowers, the birds. He owns the mountains and the oceans. He owns America. He owns China. He owns Africa. He owns the moon while we're at it. He owns Jupiter and the stars. He owns it all, the whole earth is God's to do as it pleases, and it has pleased God to make his people his special possession. Only these people are called his treasure, no one else. Only the people of God, he says, you are mine. Now such language, such pouring out, such lavishing of God's love makes us ask the question, why? Like, why out of all the people? Why did God choose these people, these slaves, to say, I will be yours? 
God actually answers that later on. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8 says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the faces of the earth to be his people, his special treasure. Same words, using the same words for them. Deuteronomy 7, 7. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people. It does not say that he chose you, chose Israel, because they were so good. God's just looking at them and he's like, man, these guys are just so righteous. I just, I just, you're holy, I'm holy, maybe we can come together, you know, and be a holy couple. No. It does not say that he chose them because they were so important or powerful or special that they looked so good to everyone. It says the opposite. If Israel, if the nations played a dodgeball team, okay, Israel's getting picked last. Okay, you got Assyria, they're going first. You got Egypt, we like them. Maybe Philistia, they're pretty cool. They're going to do something. You're not picking Israel. There was nothing special about the people of God when he chose them to enter into covenant with them. What does it say? Deuteronomy 7, verse 8. It was because the Lord loved you. It was because the Lord loved you and kept his promise to Abraham. That is why. Why does God do anything? You know? Why does he save? Why does he help? Why does he continually redeem and love us? The Bible simply says it is because that is who he is. Church, remember this. I know the Old Testament has this idea of a wrathful God and then he suddenly became gracious. He softened up in his old age in the New Testament. Remember this, that the God of the Old Testament is a God who falls in love first. It was him that saw his people, defends and fights for them, loved them first and he loves you first too. The third thing to pay attention to In Exodus 19, and this one is the big one for tonight, this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time on, is verse 6. It says this, Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is actually the main theme we're going to talk about next half, but before we get there and talk about what does it mean for the the nation, the entire people, to be a kingdom of priests? What does it mean for them to be holy? I think we just need to take a step back and ask the question, what were the priests? What did they do? We don't really have priests in our society. Some churches, the Catholic and the Anglican church has priests, but they're not really around us. We don't really see a priest. What did it mean back then for us to understand what is God saying now, what were the priests? A dictionary look at, sorry, a dictionary of biblical imagery says priests are religious specialists, which I find very unhelpful, very vague. You know, they're just, they're religious. I don't know. The priests did so much 
so much that it's almost hard to even grasp what they did. These guys were like spiritual handymen. These guys were like the Swiss army knife of religion. Here's some responsibilities. I think it'll be on the screen. If not, uh, come find me later. Um, But here's some of the things that priests did. Here's all the things that was known for being a priest. Basically, anything that pertained to the temple services was the priest's job. They were in charge of the worship. They were in charge of the sacrifices, the prayer, offerings. They taught the law publicly. They produced incense. Apparently, you have to be good at uh, chemistry or something to produce to produce the incense. They moved the Ark of the Covenant. They verbally blessed the people on God's behalf. So that's stuff that we think about um, when we think about priests. They're religious specialists. But I don't know what you think of priests. When I, I think uh, when I think of a priest, I think someone that has kind of soft hands. You know, maybe maybe gentle eyes. Um, maybe uh, maybe like Drew Moss. I think of. Uh, <laughs> Of Drew as a little bit of a priest, maybe. Um, but apparently, these guys were also involved in warfare. There is six times, at least six times in the Old Testament, where priests are directly involved with warfare. If you remember the Jericho story, march around Jericho seven times and they blow the trumpets, that was the priests. The priests were instrumental in the defeat in God's salvation through Jericho find that interesting. They also worked as spies for David, 2 Samuel. There's even instances of them being in charge of construction. These guys did everything. Spiritual handymen, spiritual Swiss army knife. Not a bad phrase for us to be too. But the one thing that you think of when you think of a priest, if you can just forget all of that and remember this one key defining characteristic, it was that priests were holy. They embodied the idea of holiness. Whatever holiness meant, it was the priest's job to be that. Just a reminder, holiness is this phrase that we say often. It doesn't hurt to go over it again. Holiness is anything that is of God. You see, God is the only thing in all of creation that is holy. To be holy literally means you are of God. There's God, the creator, and there's all the creatures. There's God, the holy one, and there's everything else. God is holy. Something becomes holy if it is set apart for God, dedicated to him. Kind of like the fine china, you know, only for the special occasions. It's set apart. Someone is said to be holy in so much as they resemble God. Holiness is proximity to the Lord. It's an imitation. That is what holiness is. And everything about the priest was to embody holiness. Their character was supposed to be holy. Every action they took among the people was supposed to resemble God. Their purity, their inner life, their inner, if God is pure, if there's no evil thoughts in God, no, no anger, jealousy, sin, etc., the priest was supposed to be that too in their inner life. Even their physical appearance, it, the Bible goes down to details about how the priests are supposed to be perfect. Just like you don't offer a sacrifice to the Lord that had blemishes, the people offering it, they were not supposed to have blemishes either. I think it's somewhere in Leviticus. You can go look that up later. 
Everything about the priest embodied holiness. So what does it mean in Exodus 19 when he says, all of you, all of you are to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation? What exactly is God's salvation aimed at? What did he save us for? That's what we're going to talk about in the second half. So take a short break, and then we'll come back together. Um, I just want to say that I love my job. <laughs> that was totally off of a, hey, what do we, what, how can we do this? And we're like, what if we made a, a video? What if we just went all out? So that is awesome. Um, I'm actually just going to pray us back into the second half, and then we're going to get going. So, so pray with me. Father God, thank you for this community. Um, thank you for the church that you've given us. Uh, thank you for the joy that we get to have together. And God, thank you for your word. Um, I just ask that in all of this, in these memories that we get to make together, that you would be glorified above everything else. We love you so much, Jesus. It's your name I pray. Amen. Okay. We're talking about Exodus 19. Remember before that, we were talking about Exodus 19. Um, and we're talking about the idea of a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Now, actually, I want to show you a picture of a priest. I think we got him up there. So, yeah. So when we're talking about priests, we're talking about a guy that looks like this. Whatever it is, he's got it going on. Not really fashionable today, but this is, this is what a priest looked like. Um, next, uh, next picture, please. Um, when we're talking about the idea of a priest offering sacrifices, it is something that he literally did. Um, that's the Ark of the Covenant. This is happening on one day above, um, throughout the year, only one time is the high priest allowed into the Ark of where the Ark of the Covenant is, where God is said to dwell, to offer sacrifice for his people. Um, next slide. And when we're talking about the priests, when I said every characteristic, everything, even down to his physical qualities, um, this, is, this is literal. Like, they, they literally thought through all of this. Everything symbolized holiness. You can see his crown. He's wearing a crown with a turban on it, and it says, on, on his crown, it says, holy to the Lord, written, always bearing the name of God, no matter wherever he goes. You can see some uh, precious gemstones. He actually has 12 gems that are on his chest, each with the name of a tribe of Israel. There's 12 tribes. He has 12 gems. He is always bearing the name of the people before God. Beautiful. His clothes are completely whole. There's no mixed linens. There's no polyester and cotton or whatever. It is, even down to the finest details, pure, symbolizing purity with his clothes. In his hands, there is incense, which symbolizes the prayers being lifted up before God always. And he's barefoot. Because if you remember in Exodus 3... Moses was called to walk before God with bare feet. Every single detail shows holiness, embodies holiness. And my point for this second half is that this, this biblical picture of a priest, this is what the Bible says about you. 
That is meant to be you in every single way. The text that says this is 1 Peter 2, 9. If you let me read it, it says, But you, speaking to the church, Peter is speaking to people that have been saved, that are in Christ Jesus, that are no longer of his special possession, that are no longer just Israelites. He's speaking to everyone, and he says, But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, God's treasure, the same words that are said in Exodus 19, Peter is saying about the church, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. My point for this second half is simple. If you are in Jesus, you are a priest of the Lord, holy to the Lord, with a new identity a new nature, and a new calling. New identity, new nature, new calling. Let's walk through some of those. First Peter 2, 9, once again, you have a new identity. He gives us identity statements. Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, God's treasure. Peter is saying that at salvation... When someone comes to the Lord, when someone commits their life to him, repents of their sins, and accepts the gospel in their life, they become someone entirely new. They could have been anything before. They could have been the worst of the worst. They could have been just average, just average. But when you come to Jesus, the Bible says you are a treasure. Special possession, chosen, royal. Do you know what it's like to have a treasure? Do you, have you seen people that, that have treasured things? When I think of the idea of someone having a treasure, I think immediately of parents at a soccer game. I grew up playing soccer. I love playing soccer. I've been around it for a long time. And I just know this, this fact. So if, you, if, you, if you've been to one of these games, you see maybe it's like a sixth six grader, oh, not six, six years old, okay? And it's just like a mass, a moving mass. The, the ball kicks, the mass goes, the ball kicks, the mass goes. And then one person scores, one little sixth grader, kicks it, and it accidentally finds its way in the goal, Okay? And the parents are like, wow, that's my boy. That's my boy. You know, they don't even know. They don't even kid know what has happened. You might have kicked it in the wrong goal. But the parents are wild. They are obsessed. They treasure the children. You see it in that moment. Do you know how treasured you are in the Lord? If you could just see the look in God's eyes when he sees you. More proud than the proudest parent. He says, the whole earth is mine, but you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I mean, he really treasures you. Just think about it. Think you sacrifice for the things you love. Do you know how far God has gone for you? How much he has done? Let's just walk through it. He made you. He created you. Before anyone ever thought of you, thousands of years ago, the Bible says he knew your name. Good or bad. He knew you and he loved you with an eternal 
love. He sustains you at this moment. Every breath you take, the Bible says it is because God is giving it to you now. He is sustaining you. He is keeping you. He will redeem you. A lot of things happen in this life, good and bad. Sometimes we carry scars with us, but the Bible says that God will redeem everything. He will make it right in the end because of his love for you. And finally, he came to earth to die for you so that you could be with him forever. You are treasured by God with an identity that is beyond your wildest dreams. Some of us in the room, we just, we just don't really know how to be loved, you know? The idea of affection, the idea of closeness to us, we have, we have walls, we push people away, we're not really good at being loved. None of you know how to be loved by God. His love is beyond anything you could fathom. I'm just asking you, in light of this, one thing. Just remember, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, in faith, out of faith, know that you are loved by God more than you know. You are his special possession, his treasure. Point number one. Point number two. You remember um, the priests what the priests are, remember this idea, and I said there is one major characteristic about the traits. You could, you could forget everything else about the priests, but you remember this one thing, and it's that priests are holy. Good. This murmur, but I'll take it. Proud of you guys. Priests are holy. Whatever God is above, the priest is the embodiment of God on earth, an imitator. Point number two. You, as priests, have a new nature. You are holy, and you are called to be holy. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. The same words that Moses said to them back then, thousands of years ago, he says to the church now. I've received many gifts in my life, um, some of them good, some of them not so good, some of you re-gift, but you don't tell people, but I've received many good gifts. Um, one of my favorite gifts in all of my life uh, was Guitar Hero 3. Did anyone know Guitar Hero? You know Guitar Hero? Guitar Hero 3? That was one of my favorite above everything. Now, for those of you that didn't cheer or whatever, I know you know Guitar Hero 3. I know you know some of the Guitar Heroes because I'm the one that makes the playlist here and like 80% of it is just Guitar Hero songs. I just can't, I can't leave it. I love Guitar Hero. The best gift I ever received was Guitar Hero 3 on my 12th birthday. I loved that game. I played it for hours. We had, this isn't in the notes, we had a, uh, a trailer that we hooked up to. We, I lived on, the, on like a 300 acres in the woods somewhere. Okay. We, we lived in, uh, we, my brother and I, we pulled up a trailer and like, like plugged in electricity to it. We called it the man cave, okay? And all we did was just play Guitar Hero 3 forever. It was awesome. 12 year old, that was a great time. You don't know the thrill, okay, of 100%ing a song. Okay, 
You're 100% on medium. You're doing, you feel good about yourself. You go to hard, and there's a like blue. You got to use your pinky now. It's getting a little scary, but then you get like really good at it. Then you go to expert. And there's orange, and you're like, ah, I'm getting crazy. And then you just keep going and keep going to where you can 100% it. It was awesome. I loved that game. It was such a good gift to me. Whenever someone receives a gift, a good gift, and I mean good gift, you know it's good when their words don't matter. You know, they're like, ah, ah, you know, like it's like, thank you, and then they leave, you know. Um, it doesn't matter what they say, you can see it in their eyes. See the joy. The best gifts are the gifts that change us, that we, that we take with us, you know. Even now, I play music, still from that game. It's a good gift. Can I read you something that I've been wrestling with uh, for a little bit? I heard this quote, um, I'd say a couple weeks ago, and it just really stuck with me. Um, it's a quote from a famous Christian named J.C. Ryle. I think he was in the 18th century. And he says simply this, The greatest gift I can ever give is my personal holiness. The greatest gift I can give to you, beyond any Guitar Hero 3, beyond anything money can buy, is me completely following the Lord. The greatest gift is my personal holiness, my life offered to you as a gift. Do you view holiness that way? that your proximity to God, that your time spent with him, that you imitating his character, do you view that as a gift you give to someone else or do you view that kind of as a burden that you try just to be the, the least amount of holy that you can so that you can be like everyone else? Do you view your words as a gift that you give to your friends and family the people who are around you never have to worry that you're going to insult them, never have to worry that you're going to dishonor or say something too far because your words are holy. They have Christ in them. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for others, for building them up according to their needs that it may benefit them. Are your words holy? Are they a gift to another person? Are your hobbies are your hobbies holy? Are they a gift to another person? Is there holiness in your music? Is there righteousness in the books you read? Is Jesus fully present in the videos that you watch online on Instagram? Is Jesus there? Can you see it? Can others see it? That how you spend your time is a gift to them because it has God in them. Do you even view your own body as holy, as a gift to another? Do you view it in such a way that Romans 12 is true to present your very bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord? Now, I know where some of you went when I said that, have bodies that are holy, but I'm not just talking about sexual purity. That's not a bad idea. I'd encourage you towards that, but there's so much more when it's just sexual purity. I'm talking everything about you. Your hands, the things that you do with your time, how you help other people, your mind, the very things that you let go through, the daydreams you have in the, Lord, in the day, do they have the Lord in them? The feelings that you have inside. 
When you're frustrated, you're stressed, you're anxious, do you offer them like your whole body to the Lord? Is there holiness in you? I'm calling you tonight that wherever you are, please take holiness seriously. Take your faith seriously. Some of you, for the first time, that I am a priest of God and priests are called to be holy and I am giving that to God and I'm giving that to others, the best thing I could ever give to them. Point number two, priests are called to be holy and you are called a priest by the Bible. And finally, last point for tonight, 1 Peter 2, 9 again, says this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Those are identity statements. We've already talked about that. And then he makes a turn and says, that you may, purpose statement, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Point three, priests proclaim the purposes of God. I want to ask, can I actually go back to that, uh, that picture of priests real quick? Can we just scroll? Yeah, any one of them. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's, yeah, I, like, I like that one. Um, imagine for a moment that you showed up to class the next day dressed like this guy, okay? Imagine how freaking weird you would look. Okay, we got the pajamas boy sitting in the front row. Okay, um, I was there. I love the pajama boy, but if you're a pajama boy, we're praying for you. We got to move it past it. We got pajama boy. We got the fraternity guy that's dressed up in, in the suit. Maybe he's like pledging. He looks great. Um, people are looking at him. People are looking at him, looking at the, the pajamas. And then we got priest of Yahweh <laughs> right there, front row, asking questions. You would be overlooked. I promise. The professor, professor would be like, I don't really want to answer. Uh, I'm going to call on this guy because he is, he is weird for sure. You would look weird. But one thing that you couldn't do is you could not hide. Couldn't hide. As if you had holy to the Lord on your forehead. As if you bore the names of the church on your chest at all times, as if every part of you was set apart wholly to the Lord. You couldn't hide. As Christians, we hide so often. We want to do the least amount of Jesus that we can and feel good. In public spaces, we don't want to step forward and say things. We don't want to risk offending people by speaking what we believe. And we really don't want to look weird. I'm not calling you tonight to dress like a priest. That would be stupid. But I need you to see that this is how the Bible speaks of you. And priests proclaim the purposes of God. Romans 15, Paul says, I am a priest of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That whatever that meant, that is me. And Peter says, that is you too. That you may proclaim the praises of him that called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I'm asking you 
to step forward in some way and speak Jesus and be Jesus in hard, confusing circumstances. I know this world is hard, but you have God on your side making you holy and pushing you towards holiness. I don't know where you are and what you've heard from this sermon. Some of you need to just go and reflect on how treasured you are by God. Some of you just need to spend time and think that if you are in Jesus, this is you, the gem on his crown, the apple of his eye, a son and daughter of a royal king. That is you. Some of you uh, may not be in Christ, and, and if, if you're not in Jesus, if this really isn't your thing, then I just want you to know that these could be God's words for you too. That he loves you so deeply and he wants you to be his treasured possession out of everyone else. Calling you to repent and believe in it. Whatever your barriers are, let's talk through them. Know that you're treasured. Some of you Christians need to be called to holiness. Maybe you need to go and confess some things to a friend. There's no shame. Jesus took away the shame. But we gotta talk. We gotta be real with one another. To walk in the most holy faith, you are called priests of God. And some of you, most of you, need to make plans tonight to go and speak about the Lord. Speak about what he's done for you. How much he loves you and loves them. To make plans to proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and in his marvelous light. That is who you are. You were saved for this purpose, to be God's priests. Let's pray. Father God, I just admit to you that I, I am convicted. Um, this idea of this high this treasure that you give us, this new identity that's beyond anything I can imagine, God, thank you for that. And I pray for myself and I pray for them that we can walk out of here knowing how loved we are. But God, I'm also convicted to follow you. You save us and then you call us to your purposes. I pray, Lord, that we can walk in you, that we looked visibly different than anyone else as if we were wearing priest clothes. God, I pray that holy to the Lord is as if it's written on our head. I pray that you would make us holy and that you would help us take our faith seriously. We love you so much, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, Jesus name I pray, amen.